Well, thanks for joining us on the Pull Up a Chair podcast on this episode. My name is Ryan Smallwood, and uh, we are going to have a great conversation today. I've got some great guests with me. This is Jorge Jorge and David Jorge, and I'm so excited to have them. We're going to have a conversation about the gospel and immigration. And so uh, let me remind you before we get into it, uh, as always on the Pull Up a Chair podcast, um, we may not always think alike, but we can always love alike. And so the things said here today may not reflect my views or the views of Aldersgate Church, but we've got to be open to the conversations. And so I'm excited about the conversation we're going to have today. So so are we. Thanks so much for being with us. So um, obviously, if people are watching, uh, it's easy to say that you're not American. Uh, And as soon as you begin to speak, people are going to go, oh, what's their dialect? What's their language? Yeah. And so um, they might not notice something different. <laughs> <laughs> so, man, I just want to say before you guys get into it, uh, I thank you so much. Um, I have learned so much um, from from both of you. Uh, we've had some great conversations about immigration. I really appreciate your perspective and teaching me on that. And I think it's going to be valuable for everybody listening to this podcast. And so as we do that, uh, I think the best place to start is just you're immigrants yourself um, from Cuba to the United States of America. So tell us a little bit about your immigration story. Um, maybe even, Jorge, if you can start with your calling to America and then maybe talk us through your immigration process, um, how that happened, how that worked, what your status is today, and and then we'll go from there. Does that work? Yeah, that's fine. Sure. Great. Yeah. So that is very interesting. We came here as a family, no, as a typical uh uh, reason and motive that people come. So we came here because of God calling. Mm. So we, we yeah. have been, yeah. You, you had a career in, in Cuba. So uh, what was your yeah. career in Cuba? Actually two careers. Yeah. Yes, where, where uh, I study medicine. I work as a doctor uh, some years. Mm-hmm. And in the middle of that process, uh, God called me to be a pastor. So I start from scratch. Mm. And all the the step for be a pastor. So I worked as a pastor there for uh, almost twenty years, and in the middle of a, a cross road, uh, when a st- when a st- our stage will finish, uh, so yeah. finished. Uh, we- you were a district superintendent for one of a new, a new district that was created specifically because of the work you had done in that specific specific province and it was turned into a district for the Methodist Church. And then when that time ended, you know, the allotted time for superintendent, then we need to find somewhere else to go. <laughs> yes. And appeared this calling to come here and to work with Hispanic people. Yeah. So how long ago was that? Uh, about seven, seven years. Seven years ago. And you said family. So tell us a little bit about your family. So uh I'm married with uh, Giselle. We both met at university. So we both had our own career. We decided to leave them that behind for the calling. Uh, in, in the process, we had two children. So David is 25th right now, and Annabelle is 23. So uh, we try to, to do our best trying to offer an evangelical way of life mm. in our country, but uh, had the very <laughs> difficult times yeah. for us. So, but we were very united family. We all uh, 
put together all our eggs in the same basket. We fight together. <laughs> uh, we keep together so we thrive in mm. that situation. So, yeah. Thanks, God. So um, for anybody listening who, who uh, may not be familiar with the um, climate in Cuba, the political climate in Cuba, mm. give us a little background on the political climate in, in Cuba. It's actually at the time we're recording this podcast and it's going to air. There's a lot of stuff happening with the political climate in Cuba. So kind of give us some backdrop on that and what's what's happening there. Well, after the independence war, the last independence war in in Cuba, uh, there was an American uh, intervention that uh, allowed for uh, stabilization of the country and the uh, and the appearance of a democratically elected government, which was more or less corrupt all the way until the after the World War II and well into the 50s. Um, the, there was a dictatorship by a, na- a guy named Fulgencio Batista who organized a coup and took control of the country, Was uh, had ties with uh, all sorts of American gangsters. It's quite the story about a bunch of American gangsters, both during the Prohibition and later on built a, a lot of the best buildings that still remain in Havana. The thing is, uh, those dictators spent a lot of money in developing the nation and the city of Havana thrived incredibly. But there were some social issues that were used by Fidel Castro to organize a revol- stage of revolution, which it, it, little by little decay became, co- became communist after a couple of years and uh, just devolved uh, until the socialist uh, nations of the USSR collapsed in the 90s uh, a very dark age uh, <laughs> dawned upon the upon us. I was born in the middle of all that. Uh, a, a lot of poverty, a lot of uh, well, social issues, mm-hmm. a bunch of them, and uh, that have never been fully resolved. Uh, but in the middle of all that, the communist control of the island uh, turned very strongly against minority groups, not racial minorities, but ideological minorities. Originally, the heaviest uh, assaults were on gay people and religious people. And by religious people, I mean all of them. Mm. Yeah, you could be a Yoruba, an not African... Just, not just Christianity, They don't care. They go... Since communism works more... It's more of a religion than an actual economic system because it, it comes with an imposed set of values. Uh, they cannot tolerate the existence of religion. And uh, they've been cracking down on religion one way or another for the 62 years they've been there. And Cuba has an informal but still somewhat enforced atheism. Mm. Yeah. Religion is frowned upon. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. By state decree. (laughs) Yeah. So on the day we're recording this, we're in the middle of a... uh, uh, Coup's not the word, but what's happening in Cuba right now? Tell us kind of what's happening there right now. Well, after uh, after more repression, repression, uh, and government take control of everything, every every single detail in the private life, in common daily private life, in family in Cuba, uh, they they only had the opportunity to get money and support from the family out, uh, outside of mm-hmm. the country. Uh-huh. So, but. This sin that never ends. So people outside decide to stop that, and the situation turned very, very uh, dire. Hard. 
So the to, add, to add that the uh, with the corona, coronavirus pandemic uh, that completely destroyed the tourism industry, mm. and um, and also that that only left them with uh, pretty much that uh, they have a, a medical slavery thing they do in which they send their own doctors to the worst places in the world, get paid a lot of money, and the doctors get like a one percent of that, mm. and uh, that's the their only source of revenue. But the problem is that that means there's no doctors in Cuba and people started dying, not necessarily a coronavirus, but vitamin deficiency because lack of food, uh, terrible hygienic conditions. There's images of uh, hospitals with people just lying pretty much patients on waiting rooms, just sleeping on the on the chairs and on the floors. And uh, the last news we got from our old hometown uh it was somewhere near 15 people a day were dying for wow. just poor health conditions while the government advertises a medical paradise over there. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And so and now if you turn on the news, you see images of uh, Cubans in the streets oh, and yeah. um, uh, protest and and calls for freedom. And um, so your immigration story, there was a calling behind it. But Let's just talk about immigration in general. Uh, is that, uh, in your words, in your thoughts, is that the the reason people, what are the reasons people are primarily wanting to leave their country to come, in this case, let's say, to the United States? But why why do people, and it, not just Cuba, but in general, uh, I, I guess I should have said too, um, what are you, you lead a, a Hispanic congregation here in the United States. And so, uh, first generation, primarily, uh, yeah. Hispanic and Latino people. So most of them, uh, are immigrating over, uh, and, and so uh, you, yeah, but from all over, I mean, South America, Central America, Cuba. Uh, so, uh, you, you deal with a lot of people and immigration. So mm-hmm. kind of give us an idea on why people leave their countries to come to the United States? So Cuba or any kind? I mean, well, it could be different. So okay. Cuba versus a Central American country or a South American country or whatever. Yes, yeah. there are different flavors depending on the country. But I, I think that's interesting. I think that's important, though, David, because I think sometimes, um, sometimes our mentality can be that people immigrate for the same that everyone immigrates for the same reason oh, or no. there's only one reason and so give us shine some light on the reasons behind immigration well uh most of the hispanic people have very uh a strong uh, developed uh, cities and life so there is like a high class in every of our countries so not cuba cuba is a different thing mm-hmm. but many people live there they can arrive, they can come here or whatever they want. They don't have to deal with big issues. But as those cities grow, uh, uh, more more uh, problems you can see on the country, out of cities. So uh, those people are mainly the people that want to come here. They was forget it. They was for uh, forgotten uh, about uh, for governments. They have uh, almost nothing uh, to work for future family. There is no opportunity to, to drive. Uh, 
And most of them don't have enough uh, education either. So, and there is a very strong dynamic because they come here, you know, most of them uh, illegal. Uh, they want a, an opportunity. And at the beginning, they come to the uh, United States uh, thinking in work hard and to support their family there. But after that, the idea changed when they see, they have a firsthand experience about how people could be treated here. Uh, most of them, even with any connection with the legal situation or even understand, even without language, they encourage people there to come, uh, to, their family, come, come, this is an opportunity. This is, imagine you live there with nothing and here you can get maybe a car, maybe a, an apartment, a job. So that is heaven. Mm. <laughs> so th that is a very big uh, amount of people on the Dell situation. There is another situation with two other group of Hispanic people. One of them is Puerto Ricans. Uh, they have a legal status to come yeah, here. They have a Commonwealth status. Mm -hmm. With the United States. Yes. yes. Uh, that is another issue, completely different. And Cuban. Cubans, they, they are fighting with a regime, regime for 62 years. They are looking for freedom. Even with, with there are three generations indoctrinated about that freedom is what they what, what the government Cuban government offered them there, and they try to uh, demolish this uh, uh, capitalism ideal. Uh, people get sick of that, mm. and even when some of them come here thinking that they. They are arriving, they are coming here because uh, economic issue. When they realize what is capitalism, what is freedom, <laughs> they, they surprise about that. So they have to be uh, destroyed, these indoctrinations. And, and Cuban people here try to explain back to their family there what is freedom and you know all the tricky speech that they receive every week in the television. So uh, that will uh, develop uh, this uh, knowledge about what is freedom. And they're fighting for freedom. They say, okay, we, if, we, if we have the opportunity to live in a, in a free country, we will get everything that we are expecting to get or to obtain or to fight for. Yeah, there's a difference between uh uh, normal economic migration you tend to see from Central America and South America, although some of them are also escaping crime. That's the other common uh, the the other common cause for immigration. But the difference between Cuban immigrants and m most other immigrants is that Cubans are don't really do not really want to emigrate. Uh, given the chance, I will be willing to bet that if communism magically disappears from the island, about 90% okay. 90 of Cubans will go back in one way or another. Mm, yeah. Like what, either keeping dual citizenship and living in both places at the same time kind of thing, or just going back yeah. completely. I, I think that would. I think it's safe to say that's true of refugees too, correct? Yeah. And refugees mm -hmm. different from immigration in that a refugee is fleeing a, um, uh, a threat to their own life. Yes. Um, and most of them 
Well, am I true in saying most of them don't want to leave their country? Of mm-hmm. course. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's more of an exile situation. Mm-hmm. That's how Cubans uh, identify ourselves as exiles mm-hmm. or expats. But because yeah, in reality, that's why uh, we can mobilize so quickly in a way like the city of Miami has been closed most of these, this week because of protests mm-hmm. and uh, demonstrations because pretty much there's a single-mindedness to end whatever that's destroying our country and go back there and rebuild it. Mm. And let me tell you this, immigration can uh, have been uh, weaponized for the Cuban uh, dictatorship. Mm -hmm. Once they collect a lot of people that want to fight for freedom, they open the borders and they, Send them and away. they uh, encourage people to go. Go, if you want to be here, go to the United States. Wow, so you're saying the government of Cuba actually does yeah, that. Yeah, they did that in 84. Uh, Have you seen the movie Scarface yeah, yeah, with yeah. Al Pacino? Yeah, yeah. Well, he was a Cuban uh, uh, exile, but he was a criminal because what happened historically is that Fidel Castro gathered, uh, there was some there were some protests in Havana and he just said everyone can leave, but at the same time he emptied all the prisons and all the mental asylums and sent everyone there as an, basically an act of aggression against the U.S. Hmm. And uh, Scarface is based on that. Yeah, they did that in 84 and they 94. did that in 90s as well. Wow. And many people in, in, in Miami, in Cuba, uh, is waiting for the third. Do you think that's something that could happen oh, right they now will. with the current political they, will, they don't have any other options to wow. get rid of those yeah. protesters. Yeah. So then from the United States perspective, that, that's, a, that's, a, that's a problem on our end. And mm-hmm. that's where the whole con, you know, the conflict between immigration or about immigration comes up. Why? Um, take me if you can, take us if you can, psychologically to why someone would enter the country illegally. What what causes someone to do that versus going through the process of becoming a legal immigrant into the United States of America? Well, I will I will I will say this based in my experience because I'm working with a lot of them. So if if we so we have a group of Hispanic people that come because they. Uh, have been invited by uh, Texas Tech. And people that have resources and uh, they are educated people, they will follow legal things. But those people that come illegal, this very interesting thing, they don't realize about what legal thing is. They don't have any relationship with their Mm -hmm. government. They they don't see law and structure order in any way. They've never seen it in their lives. I have a story. I have a friend from Cuba and he calls me one day and he's like, hey, I jumped into a plane and now I'm in Guatemala. I'm just going to go all the way up there. I'm like, and are you going to cross illegally? And he's like, oh, no, no, I'm going to do it legally. He's like, that's not an option. You you, you don't just sign. They don't give you like a, a piece of paper and you sign which one you want to cross. Hmm. And uh, because they just don't know that. Yeah. They There's a the reality they live in and then there's the promised land. That which America has advertised itself, and in many ways it is, but people are don't really understand the pro, the legal system that allows for the promised land to exist until they actually a part of it. Yeah. So so a lot of it is 
really just ignorance. And mm -hmm. what I mean by that is just a complete disknowledge of the immigration process. Indeed. They, they're they're uh, an action of life, the expectation, life, socialized way of life for them is only between families. They don't have any notion about, about government. And I fight a lot of that with them about this because I need to explain them what is a health care system, mm. what is a police system, immigration. They even don't recognize one of other. They see uniform, they see, well, they are so scared to get into a big building uh, with hospital. It is normal outside of the US, especially in Latin America, to, for separation of powers not to exist. So when you see a police officer, uh, that that's no different from the legal system, and that's no different from the le legislative or the executive. Mm -hmm. There's just a law, and the law involves government and everybody. Right. It, more or less democratic, depending on the country, but most Hispanics don't really know know how what a legal system is. Mm -hmm. There's basically just some laws you follow and some guys in uniform that enforce it, and that's it. And is it also fair so to say? Is it also fair to say that then in their experience, um, odds are the uniform implies some form of possible corruption as well from their experience? Many of them. Depends on the country, the, the reality, mm -hmm. but and it usually all, does. Although a very strange issue because they don't have any relation with them. I, I tell you, they live in a, in, in a mountain with a, maybe... Uh, uh, 45 families, they uh, marry between them, so that <laughs> it's incredible. Well, that easy than uh, as this. If they see that here is a good uh, opportunity for life, they don't think in any legal thing. Mm -hmm. even, even if they come to the immigration, immigration tell them how to do things correctly in order to get the real opportunity for that, they never understand that, uh, not for, for the language and not for, for the ideas that most of the officers try to explain things. They all will, will say, yes, yes, yes. Do you understand? Yes. But they are not understanding anything. Mm -hmm. They're well, looking for get out of that situation that they, in which they don't understand any single thing and try to be... Uh, uh, try to go in a place that they could see something that could be more close of their situation and you know uh, history and mm. culture well, think about how how many americans and this is an educated country how many americans can't place argentina or nigeria in a map imagine someone who's li lived a rural life their for like their entire life down eight generations and the only thing they know is america is this this and this like just three random things uh, freedom, they don't even know what that means. So it's just like, okay, you do, you can, but you can make money. And, uh, but they don't really understand what's in between them and America. And once they're America, they don't understand what the system mm. is. Yeah. A rule of law. Yeah. That doesn't exist. They don't have exist. any idea about that. Yeah. Mm. So would it be fair to say that not only are those who are immigrating into the United States of America are ignorant, uh, about the process, would it be fair to say that most Americans are probably ignorant about 
this exact situation and why people are are coming and and the process with it, uh, not the process, the problem with illegal immigration. Oh yes, so it's so hard to to see the opportunity in in which both sides could meet. Mm. <laughs> so I'm looking for those re, those experience here. You can see any place, any opportunity, any 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 way in which these two uh, group could meet in a, any way possible. They yeah. talk, they try to understand each other possible. Da, da. So both sides tend to have a, a policy of avoidance. Mm. So it's, it's what you see. Immigrants will avoid participating in the culture as much as they can, maybe out of embarrassment or out of fear. Uh, and in the meantime, what I've seen is Americans tend to avoid as well in for fear of being insensitive, mm. which in my opinion is a huge mistake because uh, as we were saying before, uh, in the age of information, indifference is the, wor the, worst, the worst thing it could happen. Yeah. So, yeah. So take us to your personal story. What did you, um, what did y'all experience as, uh, but, Disclaimer: Legal immigration. <laughs> yeah. What What did you experience uh, in terms of legal immigration? Um, did, was there hostility from uh, Americans? Was there uh, what What kind of things did y'all experience as you immigrated into the United States? Not in our experience. No, at all. Positive. And again, our experience is very, very limited. It happens. It doesn't happen often. Uh, we had the privilege of just coming up here and people were waiting for us and they were super nice to us. We had, oh, yeah. they had everything ready for us. We, my, he had a job, like all the, we could, yeah. we were eased into it. Then again, we follow every single legal channel. Yeah. So, I'm, I'm biased, but I'm going to say that's because you immigrated to West Texas. So see, <laughs> <laughs> in all fairness, we haven't heard any stories like ours outside of Texas. Too. Yeah. <laughs> just saying. Um, yeah, so now if I can switch, because I know you have experience with other people, um, how are people who immigrate illegally usually, uh, not usually, I can't say that, but in your experience, how have you seen people that have immigrated eagerly? What, what kind of uh, attitude are they met with? Well, it's very complicated because most of them don't speak English, don't understand culture. They, they had their own idea and you can see a person that was very uh, thankful for the treatment that they receive, uh, and others are, are, are disagree with the same treatment. So they had many expect, different expectations about what is correct, what is not. Mm -hmm. As much of uh, people have attitudes, people are them. humble. They are so grateful. Mm -hmm. So if there are people that. Uh, heard many stories mm -hmm. before they arrive here. So they will be very scared and they will see everything uh, uh, through those eyes. So it's a huge uh, uh That's a hard spectrum. question to answer, yeah, yeah. Yeah, it all depends on those expectations that every immigrant has once they get mm -hmm. So here. a statistic here won't That won't, won't help work. you. <laughs> yeah. Won't work, have yeah. to go case by case. Yeah. yeah, immigration is a very individual problem. Hmm. So uh, that's 
that's a good lead in, David. So let's talk about that in terms of how, because uh, this is the struggle for um, for Christians, mm-hmm. for, for Christ followers. Well, what should the gospel response to illegal immigration be? Like, how do we? Uh, and boy, I just unloaded a, <laughs> no a big question there. No pressure <laughs> on answering it, but um, how? Cause I think this is the real struggle for mm-hmm. Christ followers: is how do we deal? So. Legal immigration, that, that we, there's a law set up, there's a rule set up, you follow the process, you go through the system, not that that system's flawless or not broken, mm-hmm. but but in terms of addressing illegal immigration, I mean, you guys are telling us today most, uh, or in your experience, immigrants who come in illegally are probably ignorant about the law, the mm-hmm. rule of law, mm-hmm. the system. So, so what should a gospel answer to that be? How should we address immigrants who are coming into the country illegally? How do Christians deal with this? Well, I have a theory myself. I don't know if you will agree with it, but I'd like to refrain back to it. Every time there's a Christian perspective issue, I try to go to whatever Jesus says. And I really like the parable of the oil lamps. And uh, and metaphorically speaking, the oil lamps will be the countries. The people emig- immigrate because illegally. They're willing to go through I mean, God knows how many risks, and there's a lot, to come here to pursue a society that functions. But the reason why that society functions is because of the rule of law. Mm. And, uh, and that's the oil. Mm-hmm. Oil other nations don't have. And the parable says, Jesus says, if you give your oil, then you will not, will, you will not have enough. Mm. You cannot, I, I, can, I have to understand that if you collapse uh, one, a society, then there will be nowhere to go in the end, and it will end up affecting everyone. And an example I had, uh, I'm trying to, uh, I got married, and my wife is still in Cuba, and her process has been very delayed, and it's exceedingly complicated just because of how many illegal immigrations has, has occurred and how many people have cheated the system one way or another, and it just encumbers the system. So it, it, illegal immigration only hinders legal immigration in a way. And um, it's a common subject of speaking like how uh, some people might be waiting in line for five years in Syria where they could be killed any day while thousands of people are just crossing the border Hmm. I mean not to disregard them because they do have they will have the reasons better or worst but the reality reality is that you cannot punish those who follow the law in order to help those who are not wow that's that's really fascinating David some of those who are waiting to immigrate legally, do do they sometimes get to some point where they can see people immigrating illegally and go, well, why am I doing this? If this is going to take forever, does that drive them to immigrate illegally is what I'm trying to I mean, say. I, I've been there at some points. I've, yeah. I've really thought about it. Like, should I try to get my wife here for non-legal yeah. ways? And yeah, I mean, haven't done it. But because you're not being rewarded for going through the legal process, I am not. Believe yeah. me, it's been a long time. Right, <laughs> but, exactly. But you see people who are not going through the legal process who are entering the country, mm-hmm. and so I can see how that would be extremely frustrating. Yeah, mildly disappointing. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, not not to be insensitive, obviously. Yeah. But there's a reality. Whoever immigrate to the U.S. is extremely long an extremely long uh, process and an extremely expensive one mm. 
And it's very hurtful to see some people bypass it. Yeah, absolutely. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and so um, I, I love the way you use the illustration of the, the lamps as well. And I, I think that's another thing we, we have to keep in mind is that um, the rule of law is so important. And, um, we, and the rule of law is designed to support the people that are here. And you flood that system. There are systems... The ignorance of systems, but the systems in the United States are are broken and flawed. And so adding illegal immigration on the top of those systems that are already broken and flawed Risk can drain the, yeah, drain the oil out of those lamps in a hurry. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. And, uh, and that's the thing. And uh, staying with that analogy, uh, it's uh, for us Cubans, our perspective has always been just let us go back and and rebuild everything because that, that's the Cuban mentality. Mm. As I told you before, like 90% of Cubans will go back if they let them. Yeah. <clears throat> but most other countries, immigration from other countries is usually uh, people who don't see how they can help in their nations, but not necessarily that they cannot. Mm. And the U.S. perspective has always been like, no, stay there and do what we've done here. And obviously, easier said than done, but... right. But that's how the analogy works. Like, it wasn't easy here. It, it took time. It took blood. It took suffering. It takes that in every every place. Yeah, yeah. Fascinating, insightful. You have anything to add to that, Ray? Yes, uh, I think uh, uh, there is two uh, things that we can do. Once is uh, and based on the gospel, we have to talk to people. Mm-hmm. So we have to do this person by person, you know. So even when the the the, the law gives you a mainstream to go through that, so we are facing a non-rule of law problem. So and there are people, and people are putting a lot of thing, a lot of thing, you know, in risk. So huge, huge. So. I'm sure that is not the government uh, role. So I ask myself, who have the calling, the opportunity, and the and the connections, you know, to do that? The sensibility, the opportunity to work person by person. We, Richard. Yeah. So in other hands, uh, there is another problem because. Most of peop- those people that come here have their church in their country. And we have churches here. But it's incredible how churches here and churches there, even when we follow the same Jesus, we are not connecting. Hmm. So if churches there know that people want, come, uh, want to come here, why don't talk to people here, to pastor here? There are many pastors that go to the to those countries, but they are not talking about immigration, nothing about that. It's only maybe build a house, try to make better life there. But you know, this is like a, like a, I don't know. It, it can be counterproductive because if the, you're not talking about immigration or about how you can do for your country while you're there, 
at what people say is, oh, the Americans come and they have money, so there must be money mm -hmm. in America. Yeah. And it, it can, no, I don't, I'm not saying it does, mm -hmm. but it can send the wrong mm -hmm. message. But yeah. if church here, uh, talk to church there, even when, when we met, when we meet, uh, working together, whatever, we need to spend, you know, our talking about work together in this kind of very harmful issue mm -hmm. for our people. So if we go there, talk to pastors, so call me if you have any situation of that, if you have any doubt, let me explain this. There are many things that church can uh, do mm -hmm. in this situation. And we are only expecting that all the responsibility be in government shoulders. Yeah. That is not fair. Yeah, I, I really appreciate you saying that. And just to make sure I understand what you're saying, your perspective, you're a Cuban-American, your perspective as a church leader is that most Christ followers tend to look to the government to solve the immigration problem rather than looking to the church to solve yeah. the immigration problem. So let's, let's the government do every, does everything that they have to do. But that is not the point. The point is what we what what we could do mm. everything mm. so god we said god opened doors when there is no door at all <laughs> so what hello yeah. come on let's look for those inexistent doors yeah asking god so yeah. he will provide a lot of yeah. door for work and i know that uh as the pastor of your congregation already i know you do that you help um people uh you help them with English as a second language. You help them um, get, to, get to immigration attorneys to, to get the legal process straightened yes. out. You you do you, the point I'm making is you're saying this, but you don't just say it. You do it as as well. Oh yes, yes, yes. Yeah, I'm witness. So that. I spend more time <laughs> trying to uh, take care of those person, make them be interested in the in where they are living. Mm -hmm and make them possible mm -hmm. to thrive. Yeah, yeah. not just take care, but actually help them integrate to society, make them independent in a way, like, so to break that barrier of avoidance, just to, for them, to make it easier for, for immigrants to become a part of the society. Because when they say, when people say this is a country of immigrants, this is a country of people who created a culture. Mm. This country has a culture, and you have to be a part of it. Otherwise, you're an outsider. Mm. And wow. uh, it's I think it's a huge mistake to try to convince people not to adapt, not to become a perpetual outsider to the point that next generation they will have no connection with their children. Mm -hmm. It's in a way almost abusive. Yeah, you, you, we were talking off the air, David. Uh, mm -hmm. We were talking about that earlier in terms of learning English. Can you speak to that a little bit and uh, your your oh, perspective on that? Well, yeah. I mean, I, I know a lot of people like to say, "Well, there's no official language in the U.S." I'm like, well, "That doesn't concern you." The reality is that most people here speak English, mm -hmm. and you're not more special than others. Uh, German immigrants learn English. And the thing is, it, you should not do it because you have to, but because that's your best sh shot at getting anywhere yourself. Mm. Most people speak English. The best thing you can do is to, I mean, you cannot make connections if you can't speak the language. Mm. So in a way, it's not, uh, oh, you're losing your culture. No, you're not. You're adding a new one. You're becoming more proficient. You're becoming a better person, a more desirable person for whatever you do. So telling people not to learn English, just to hold on to your 
to what to to your language and never let go is like it's all also kind of an abuse to them it's just be just stay there and don't ever improve that i think that's a terrible thing to do to a person or to try to convince a person to do yeah yeah let's throw ethnicity out the window i mean uh, even as christ followers just to stay in one place and never grow and uh that's the worst thing we can unfortunately that's yeah you're gonna write a lot about, a lot of our churches but. yeah you're gonna write a lot against the system or whatever or society that's a very popular one like there that's not gonna change that's just you're just shouting at the at the sky for nothing to for nothing to happen. You know, there there's a reality and you must adapt to it. Telling people not to do that because that's unfair. Like that's just hindering people. Mm. Yeah. So so you're um, if you're if you're uh, preaching to Christ followers, you you're saying, hey, um, quit uh, expecting the government to fix the immigration problem. Get involved. Um, when was the last time the government actually fixed everything? <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, and I started to go there a while ago, and I was like, oh, we, got, we don't want to get into the whole government issue. Um, or, or even in the United States of America, we don't want to get into the whole political issue with immigration because that that's we're missing the boat when we do that. Um, I, I think um, what, what I hear you saying is uh, love your neighbor means uh, talk to someone. Um, no, no, me Meet them. So Meet them. Yeah. Get involved in their life. Yeah. Yeah. Understand what is happening, what that person is facing. They have a lot of problems. It's not only a phase. Yeah. But Thomas Aquinas defined love as wishing the good to the other. Absolutely. I have to say this. Most of those people come here, they're, they, 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 their high expectation is to take care of their people there. Mm -hmm once they see that they could have the opportunity to do something for people here, mm. they love that. Mm. So is they suffer a lot, a lot because they, they, they are, they are treating as people that come here to take from, and they, they are not give. the kind of people that is not the kind of way of life that they had there. Mm. So if you give them the opportunity to offer the Thompson, well, if they invite you to their home, they will give you everything. Mm. So uh, when one of my point is let them know how they could be a very strong force that made this country thrive. And they, they are getting so excited. They see that the, uh, the they could have a, a, a space here and, and that they could be appreciated for that. They will do, they will, they will give, they will offer everything. Mm. Wow. But there is a big gap between. So some, somebody have to, to reduce that gap mm -hmm. and make and get the best of this. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And I think it, it, it's time for Christ followers to quit expecting the government to stand in that gap and to realize that the mm -hmm. church is who's supposed to stand in that gap. I think that the government can do of that. Uh, the the government has to protect the border. That's sure. That, that's absolutely. what we elect them. Yeah. That they have to protect the national sovereignty. The government's responsible for the rule of law. Mm -hmm. 
uh, ultimately, every government, every government, we may not agree with how every government does this, mm-hmm. but every government's responsible for a rule of law that's supposedly supposed to protect the people. Yeah, Again, yeah. we may disagree with how each yeah. government does that, but that's the government's responsibility. Yeah, but outside of that purview, then that fall, befalls on us, the people, because we really, really don't want the government to take care of that as well. Mm-hmm. Right. Well, that is a reason because the government give a very strong and open space to church. Mm-hmm. They they don't they don't want to do church work. Mm-hmm. So the point is, uh, government is working. Is the church working? Mm-hmm. Unfortunately, though, the government sometimes has to assume the responsibility of the work that the church has been called to do um, and is not doing. It's not. And it, it brought me back to what y'all were talking about in Cuba earlier in terms of um, not just Christianity, but any religion there um, and how oftentimes here in America we take that for, for granted and forget uh, yeah. the the. It's with freedom comes great responsibility, and it's uh, the freedom that we've been given. We have responsibility to reach out and love our neighbors and take care of of those uh, around us, and not expect uh, another entity to to do that. And that means getting involved in politics in one way or another, because Mm -hmm. politics is basically who gets what, when, where, and when, and how. So. Uh, the I think it's a terrible thing for the church to say oh, we don't get involved in politics because you are by choosing not to and uh, you're just opening space for people who think differently than you and there's a reason why they think differently than you so you think one way and that just creates an imbalance and I think uh, refusing to participate in difference uh, a policy of avoidance will always cause at at the best unbalance at worst chaos mm. uh, thanks for sharing that david you know the the whole point of this podcast and not just today's episode but the podcast in general is to open up those conversations uh and and to realize that it's time for us to stop standing across the line from one another and yelling accusations and telling people that they're wrong and they've got it wrong and our side's got it right, but to actually pull up a chair and start down, start sitting down and having these conversations. Mm-hmm. And um, I, I think that's the beginning of, of how all this works. And so yeah. so I, I, I'm really, really, really grateful to you two for, for being willing to sit here today and share in this conversation with us. Uh, I, it's been fascinating to me, and I think it's going to help so many people. So I'm glad that, that you're joining us. Um, before we wrap up, so uh, tell us a little bit, just so people know where to find you, uh, Vida Abundante. Tell us a little bit about Vida Abundante, where people can find you. Um, I, I think people may want to follow up with you on this conversation. And so uh, just tell us a little bit more about Vida Abundante, where people can find you, your website, Facebook, all that kind of okay, stuff. Okay, well, Vida Abundante, uh, we are uh, meeting here in Aldersgate. Uh we can, uh, so you can uh, see us or follow us in any media, Instagram, Facebook, uh, YouTube. We are, uh, we have our website. You have, you can get any information from us there, our uh, very short uh, history as well. Uh, you can connect me with my uh, phone number, personal phone number if you want, 806-319-3899. Uh, there you can Google and the first Hispanic church that will uh, 
yeah, just show you. Hispanic we'll, church in Lubbock and we will show up. Vida Abundante. Yeah, yeah Vida Abundante or Hispanic church in, in Lubbock. They're, all of those words will yeah. pop you up, uh, our you, name. You can also go to aldersgate.online and you can find a link okay. there to the Vida Abundante website as well. Um, but I, I offer that not just so people can find you, know more about you too, but also for anyone listening who wants to take that next step to get involved in uh, the immigration problem and process, um, uh, you can plug them in helping with ESL classes. Oh, um, yes, of course. There's always uh, a need to, to transport people back and forth to the immigration attorneys, um, things like there's lots of ways people that can get involved and not yeah. just sit back and talk about this, but actually take a step of action in the immigration issue. And so uh, I say that so that people can reach out to you and we, we can help get them plugged in, in in that process. Yes, you're right. So, Jorge, David, thank you guys so much. Any last things thank you would you. share before we sign off? Uh, I'm good. <laughs> well, only one point uh, for every Christian. So we can allow that government has officers that have interviewed with one of each immigrant that tried to get into this country, legal or illegal, and we, church, don't do that. Mm -hmm. So if they are doing or at least an interview, we have to have, we have to go for a little talk mm -hmm. with them as well. That's a good word. Hey, David, prayers for you and your wife and Thank that you. Uh, the, Much the process, it. we can get through the process and get her here with you as quickly as possible. Hopefully. And I, and I would encourage anybody listening to join in on those prayers for you as well to, to do that. So, guys, thank you so much. Thank you. Appreciate, appreciate your wisdom. Appreciate Brian. your time. Our pleasure. All right. <laughs> Again, thanks for joining us uh, on this episode of Pull Up Chair Podcast. Let me just remind you, you may not agree with everything that was said here today, and that's okay. We're just pulling up in a chair to have the conversation. Remember, though, uh, we may not always think alike, but we can always love alike. Thanks. Until the next episode.